after the section was over, I approached him and I said, Doctor, why would you consider next month when you do your talk, talking at the patient level of understanding? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, when you talk at your level of education, you're talking over their head. They haven't been to chiropractic college. They're not familiar with your terminology. They have no idea what you're talking about. I said, talk about head tilt. Explain how you can develop head tilt and how it can cause interference at the point where the head and neck join and prevent the brain from sending its healing messages down to the body. This is Dr. Paul Hambrick of UpperCervicalDocs.com, and following is an interview I did with Dr. Daniel Clark. In 1947, Dr. Clark graduated from Palmer after being trained in Palmer HIO technique and having attended Dr. John Grostick's second teaching seminar ever given, where he sat next to Dr. Ralph Gregory. He practiced Grostick Upper Cervical in his own 13-bed clinic in Anison, Alabama for seven years and then moved to California, where after a long sabbatical from Upper Cervical, he developed an Upper Cervical patient education company. In this interview, Dr. Clark reveals how he saw combat in World War II, including at the Battle of the Bulge, which led to his nearly having both feet amputated, how he practiced upper cervical out of his parents' home, including taking x-rays in one of the bedrooms, how his first house call was an upper cervical miracle, how a tragic bus accident in Los Angeles led to a technological breakthrough that allowed Dr. Clark to retire in comfort at age 42, and the story of how he came to commission his first upper cervical illustration as well as much much more this is a very interesting interview it's about an hour long and split into two parts please enjoy well dr clark tell us uh, tell us about your history tell us where you were born and where you grew up well first of all i would like to say my name is daniel clark i'm an 87 year old retired upper cervical doctor I will not attempt to describe what it's like at age 87, but I will say, you will know when you get there. <laughs> I don't intend for this interview to be entertaining. Hopefully, it will be informative. Right. I was born in Alabama, grew up in Alabama and California. All of my teenage years were during the Great Depression of the 1930s. I remember it well. My first job was at the age of 15. I worked on Saturdays at our neighborhood grocery store from 7 in the morning till 11 at night. Or 10 cents an hour. <laughs> During my high school years, I had a paper route. 160 customers. I bought the paper for 10 cents a week. And I sold them for 20 cents. If I failed to collect, 
it was my loss. That I was able to pay for my clothing and my school books and purchase my first bicycle. In my senior year, I was able to purchase my first automobile. <laughs> It was a 1929 Model A Ford. Wow. I paid $75 for it. Man. I was more thrilled over that car than any car I've owned since. Yeah. Were you still doing the paper route? All from the paper route. Wow. During World War II, I saw extensive combat duty in the Battle of the Hurston Fort in Germany and the Battle of the Bulge at Bastogne. Huh. I came out of combat with both feet frozen. Huh. Spent nine months in the hospitals and rehab facilities. There was every chance that both feet would have to be amputated. Wow. They turned it black as coal. Wow. During the month of recovery, the circulation and color slowly returned. I was given a medical discharge with a lifetime disability pension. Hey, okay. That was, uh, and this was uh, what year that you were released from the hospital? 
when did he teach himself to be a chemist? Started work for this international company a year later. Okay. And was able to work all during the Depression. Mm. You work from seven, you work an average of 12 hours a day, seven days a week, mm. at 20 to 25 cents an hour. Wow. Imagine that. Well, uh, tell, tell us about uh, your family. Do you have a, a wife and children? Well, my wife and I celebrated our 63rd wedding anniversary on October the 30th. Wow, that's fantastic. Our first anniversary was at Palmer. Uh. We borrowed 25 cents, walked down Brady Hill to an ice cream parlor and bought a, with an anna split. Uh. <laughs> we started at one end, I started at the other end. We ate and met in the middle. <laughs> And on on to this day, we've been meeting each other in the middle of ever since. Oh. This year, <laughs> for our 63rd anniversary, we went to an ice cream parlor. <laughs> well, Tony, our, our daughter, is a school teacher. She has two sons. The oldest, Matthew, is an attorney. The youngest, Casey, is in medical school learning to be an orthopedic surgeon. Hmm. He graduates next May. Oh, wow. Robert, our son, is a techni technical writer and a website designer for a major, major company in San Francisco. Okay. He has a he has a daughter, Judah, and without a doubt, she is our eight-year-old princess. Well, tell us about your uh, first experience with chiropractic. You mentioned that you went to Palmer uh, right out of the Army, but what was your first experience with uh, with uh, being adjusted? Well, my first in experience with chiropractic involved my brother, Harold, at the age of eight. In 1935, he developed the flu, and that developed into pneumonia, and then into double pneumonia. It was to the point that someone had to sit by his bedside around the clock for fear he would choke if he had to cough, all because of the congestion in his lungs. The company where my father worked provided a doctor for its employees and their family <laughs> at a cost of 25 cents per week. Wow. It was obvious that my brother was growing progressively worse, even though the doctor was making daily calls to visit. A neighbor suggested to my dad that we call a chiropractor. My dad asked the medical doctor if he had any objection of us calling in a chiropractor. Well, the medical doctor said, Mr. Clark, if he were my son, I'd do whatever I thought would help. Hmm. 
my dad called in a local chiropractor. He arrived about 6 o'clock in the evening. It was mid-winter, real cold. The doctor warmed a blanket in front of the fireplace and wrapped my brother in, in it and placed him on his portable adjusting table and gave him another adjustment. By bedtime, there was a noticeable improvement in my brother's breathing. And when the medical doctor re returned the next morning, he said to my father, Mr. Clark, whatever you're doing for that boy, keep it up. <clears throat> He's getting better. My brother made a miraculous recovery. Neighbors called it a miracle. <clears throat> that was my first experience. Did you know at that point that you wanted to do that for a living? I did not. <clears throat> but it has been a lasting impression with me. <clears throat> well, tell us about going to Palmer. Well, my wife and I married on my way to Palmer. And unbeknownst to me, she had migraine headaches. I can still see her pounding her head against the wall mm. in our little apartment across the street from Palmer. She said when her head hit the wall, it made the back of her neck feel better. Mm. And after a few visits to Dr. Galen Price, she realized that the headaches were gone. Mm. They have never returned. What kind of a what kind of a doctor was uh, Doctor Price? Uh oh. Okay. See, after after World War Two, the GI Bill provided a paid education for all veterans at a college of their choice. And during a conversation with my father, I said. Dad, I now have a college education paid for. And I was considering going out to UCLA and get a degree in engineering. I said, if you had that choice, what would you do? Well, without any hesitation, he said, I'd go to a chiropractic college. Hmm. And he reminded me of the family experience 10 years earlier that we had with chiropractic when my brother made the miraculous recovery. Right. So, after reconsidering my options, obviously I chose a path to chiropractic service. Mm. But in the 1940s, the Palmer HIO was the first and only of the cervical corrective procedure that was available. And it was in its very, very early infancy. The Grostic procedure was introduced in the late 1946. I attended Dr. John F. Grostic's second seminar at his office in Ann Arbor, Michigan, 
in February of 1947. There was about ten in the class. I sat next to Dr. Ralph Gregory. Mm. And that was in 1947. That was in February of 1947. Mm. One of the things he did for each student, the first thing he did was make x-rays of every single student to show and prove the upper cervical misalignment. Hmm. I think he had, I think he managed to have three or maybe four seminars per year after that. Hmm. Is was it? At, uh, it, it did you practice Grostic? I practiced Grostic with a little HLO mixed in. Okay. Okay, so uh, I use the, the drastic to determine the side of the ladder ability. Okay. In the early days at Palmer, the film, the film that we had to analyze were of very, very poor quality. Mm. On some occasions, half the students would get a right ladder ability, and the other half would get a left ladder ability. Wow. Because of that. I took the drastic procedure because I was told it would definitely tell you the side of the That's interesting. That's something that we pretty much take for granted uh, is uh, clear films. Well, I remember on Friday night we had uh, several of us students would meet at, at uh, one of the instructors. Uh, home or, or just more or less a brain session. And I asked the question, now, what happens if I adjust the patient on the wrong side? <laughs> the instructor looked at me as if I was from another planet, never answered my question. And the reason for that is because the x-rays were so difficult to read because you determine laterality by the degree of shades of the atlas and the axis. It was very, very difficult to be sure that you were doing it correctly. That prompted me to take the agnostic procedure. Uh, did you know uh, B.J. Palmer? Oh, that's very interesting. Shortly after I arrived at Palmer, I was walking down the sidewalk there next to the administration building, and I saw BJ coming toward me. <laughs> we met there under the clock, and as he approached, he said, Daniel, how are things going? I'll never, never know how you knew my name because there was 200 students in my class. Wow. That has always been a lasting impression of BK. Sure. I really look forward to his Friday morning lectures with the student body. He often talked about consonant subluxations. That's when the atlas and the axis rotate in the same direction, of course. And variable subluxation. That's when the atlas and the axis 
when the atlas rotates in one direction and the axis in the opposite direction. He always ended up by saying, it'll take the profession 50 years to understand the verbal civilization. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Were his Friday morning talks, were they more philosophical or were they more technical? Did um, or was he more of a showman when he talked? Uh, what, what were the what were the talks like? I don't think I don't believe. Don't remember it that well. But I don't remember them being any fixed any fixed procedure for it. It was just. I think as I think back now, I believe it was a way for him to be closer to the students and for the students to better understand and know him. Were you ever adjusted by BJ? Oh, no, I was never adjusted by BJ, but I, I did do volunteer work in the, uh, in the uh, BJ clinic mm. in my senior year. When did you graduate? I graduated in February, in March of 1947. Okay. March 14th, I think it was. Mm. 19, no, May 14th, 1947. Okay. Did you go directly into practice? After being in service prior to Palmer, I didn't have any capital to start a practice. So I opened my practice in my parents' home because I had no working capital. Mm. It was in the living room or reception room a bedroom or my side posture table and x-ray mm. and a closet for developing film. Wow. While I was practicing there in my family's home, there was no overhead. Where was this? What state? Alabama. Okay. My hometown of Anderson, Alabama. <clears throat> I was I was only in practice about two weeks when I made my first house call. House calls were very, very common. A patient was a 65-year-old woman that my father knew well. He grew up with the family. They lived up the street from us. About 6 o'clock in the evening, he and I walked up the street to the home to their house, and as we approached, we saw cars parked everywhere. The family had called in friends and relatives. They were there to pay their last respects. Wow. She had been in an automobile accident, with fractured ribs, heart attack. They had given three different doctors. The last doctor left about an hour before we got there with instructions to the family. If she's still alive in the morning, give me a call. <clears throat> I can still remember when my dad and I walked in her room. It was filled with people. <clears throat> and they were there to pay their last respects. But the air was so stale, you could hardly breathe. <clears throat> I asked my dad to emptied the room, only allow one family member in the room at a time. 
raise windows and give us a change of air. With his help, I, we pulled her bed away from the wall, and I placed a chair there. I put my hands under, the, under her head. The towel paid for at least the ladder out the only little find did it. Every muscle in her neck was as tight as a banter string. Palpating hmm. with any degree of certainty was out of the question. So, I sat there for hours. <laughs> yeah, hours. Wow. Slowly and carefully massaged every muscle in her neck. Being careful not to irritate skin surface. And as I sat there, in my mind, I could hear BJ say, as long as there is a breath of life, there is hope. Hmm. Well, in the wee hours of the morning, I was ready to make an adjustment. So with the help at four corners of a sheet, we slowly turned her crossways into the bed, visiting a small table and a stack of books. Built a bedside platform for her to rest her head on. The last book that we used was the Holy Bible. As she lay there on her back, I slowly turned her head toward her left shoulder and gave an age-old type brush at this transferred right side. That was the only time she showed any sign of life whatsoever. <laughs> it was in the form of a little low brush. As I slowly turned her head back to center, I leaned over and whispered in her ear, Did you stop? Everything's gonna be all right now. Mm. Your healing has started. That was the only adjustment I ever gave her. She made a miraculous recovery. Mm. Lived 15 years after that. Mm. Friends and neighbors called it a miracle. But I must stay here. That when we removed the interference, reactivate brains by communication, miracles will happen. Mm. And also, as I think back on that experience, I must say, there was some degree of divine guidance because some of the things that I did were not taught at all. Mm. But thanks to that of my first tough call during the next three years we purchased equipped and staffed a 13 bedded clinic mm. on the main street of my hometown Aniston Alabama population of 38,000 and with the help of two doctors we saw an average of 100 patients per day Many of the patients came from adjoining counties and states. 
Our office visits were a dollar and a quarter each. Fifteen dollars for upper cervical x-rays. Uh, after the patient paid for their first set of x-rays, we issued a lifetime free x-ray card. And at the end of 30 days, the patient wasn't satisfied with the progress they were making. They could ask for a full refund. Those were the first days of upper cervical. Our competition was no x-rays, full spine, adjusting every time you came. Mm. I think you can understand that. Mm -hmm. Okay. This would have been in 1950? That would have been in 1947, 48, and 49. Okay. I opened the clinic in, in, in January of 1950. Mm. 13 bed clinic. How many, how many years were you there in that location? I practiced for seven years and I realized, I realized that I would no longer be able to spend 10, 12 hours a day due to my military disability hmm. without affecting my general health. And so I took a two-year leave of abstinence. Uh, do you have, uh, well, I know that you do have a uh, chiropractor now. Who is your chiropractor? I have a cervical doctor. <clears throat> is Dr. Sarah Johnson here in Las Vegas. Mm. She's not only our upper cervical doctor, but our good friend. Mm. She just kept me out of the hospital on two separate occasions. Mm. Well, my personal, my personal experience with upper cervical over the years definitely, definitely proved the upper cervical concept. If you were practicing now, uh, how do you think that you would do it? Well, that's interesting because I think about that quite a bit. And how I would love to be in practice now. But if I were in practice, I would not use therapy at all because patients will have a tendency to give the therapy all the credit. Mm. In my in my days of practice, we had no Medicare, we had no insurance to deal with. So since I'm retired, I don't know if I would be using insurance because I'm not familiar with their requirements today. Mm. But I do know I would definitely maintain a brain-to-body communication practice. Mm. I would emphasize the need for efficient brain-divided communication. Based on my 63 years of experience, I firmly believe that inefficient brain-divided communication could be the root cause of most health problems. Mm. This is what I believe. When the brain can communicate with all parts of the body without interference, we enjoy optimum health. When the brain cannot communicate 
with all parts of the body due to interference at the point where the head and neck join. No problems will develop. Now, in practice, I would do visual checks to check for head tilt, low shoulder, high hip, and other tests that would demonstrate brain-to-body interference. I would also make use of a full-length wall-mounted mirror so the patient could actually see and observe what I was able to see. I would also use the nerve heat graph scans. I would do leg checks for body imbalance and use the spinal master or the anatometer for bilateral body weight difference test. I would take x-rays both pre and post because I feel extensive testing will remove any patient doubt about what we say and what we do because I feel explanation of what we do without demonstration leaves too much room for patient doubt and lack of understanding. <laughs> I, I often wonder if we make it too difficult for the public to understand and accept our our upper cervical concept because in Doing so, we try to sell the bright, new, shiny Cadillac describing a model A Ford. Do you know what technique you would use to actually deliver the correction? Well, I would use Grosby. Mm -hmm. I would use Grosby simply because that was what I started with, and that was what we got better than a 90% result. Because, as I said, as I said earlier, we, we offered every patient the opportunity to get a full refund at the end of 30 days if they were not satisfied with the results they were getting. And during that time, in the years that we offered that, we only had one patient that asked for their money back. That's, uh, that's an excellent track record. You'd like to hear that, about that story? Tell me. The patient came from an adjoining county. That's the stomach problem. At the end of the 30 days, it says, Dr. Clark, I hate to say this, but I don't feel I'm getting any better. And I says, does that mean you'd like to have your money back? He says, well, that's what you said. So I called the front desk and asked him to total up what he had paid and bring me a check payable to him for the full amount. I handed it in the check. And I said, now, are you satisfied? He said, oh, yeah, I'm satisfied. I said, well, the odd thing is, I am not satisfied. I truly would not have accepted your case if I did not believe it, 
I couldn't help you. In order to satisfy me, would you become another vegetarian today at my expense? He said, oh, yeah, I'd do that. But only two weeks into that 30-day period, all of the symptoms disappeared. Hmm. He attempted to give me the money back. I would not have accepted it. Simply said it. We had a deal. I'm satisfied. You're satisfied. Did he continue to be a patient? I bet. He sent me 50 new patients. Wow, that's fantastic. Because when you stop and think about it, everyone that was sitting out in our reception room and it was always full of people. Everybody had a positive attitude about what we were doing hmm. because we had a process of cuddling out the misfits. Hmm. Am I making sense? Yes. What was your biggest disappointment in practice, and what would you have done different to prevent its reoccurrence? Well, my biggest disappointment is because there was no other of the cervical doctor. All the patients that we saw was only familiar with regular chiropractic. <laughs> they always wanted an adjustment. I don't want an x-ray. Mm -hmm. I just want an adjustment. Right. It were referred to as a chiropractor that did something different. That had to have x-rays. Since there was no upper cervical patient identification material available, as I look back now, I would have, I should have spent more time educating patients. What is your dream patient? A dream patient? Yes, sir. A dream patient would have to be a 16-year-old girl with multiple sclerosis. <clears throat> she was brought to us by her family from the adjoining state of Georgia. She developed multiple sclerosis after diving into a lake and hitting her head on the bottom of the lake while on a church picnic. Our pre-rostic film showed that the spinous of axis was rotated right 18 and a half degrees. <clears throat> we adjusted the atlas transfers with a maximum amount of torque to bring the spinous of axis back around the center. <clears throat> Our immediate post-X-ray showed no rotation in the axis. Hmm. Now, we had the patient to rest for two hours in one of the rest, one of the 13 rest areas because of her long drive back to Georgia. Hmm. That was the only time she was adjusted. Hmm. After five visits, there was no sign of multiple sclerosis. Wow. Now, starting, starting with her first visit, we made a 35 meter film of her walking, of her attempting to walk toward the camera with her mother 
and in her sister under each arm, giving her support. And on each filming, there was definite signs of improvement. Hmm. On the fifth and last filming, there was no sign of multiple sclerosis whatsoever. She was walking in a perfect manner. Wow. But sometimes later, her brother came home from service. He was in the military. And they brought him over to meet me. He had not seen his sister in that condition during the two years of her illness. So we set up a projector and a screen in the reception room so he could see the film. Mm. And believe me, there was much emotional excitement mm. with everyone, including our staff. Mm. We gave the family the film. Mm. Shortly thereafter, we devoted our Saturdays to patients from Georgia. They came in a rainy bus. Wow. <laughs> About 20 years later, we were in my home hometown for a weekend family reunion. We stayed at the Holiday Inn. We invited several family members to stay with us at the hotel as our guests. On Monday morning, I went to the front desk to pay our bill. Only to be told that the bill had been paid. Hmm. Our patient's brother was the manager of the hotel. Do you do you have a copy of that film still? I did not save a copy. No. It never occurred to me then. Sure. I wasn't in a promotional attitude then. Right. I didn't see then what I see now. Yeah. But I would give my right arm to have a copy of it now. Yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Well, what do you regard as your greatest chiropractic achievement? Well, I would say the last 15 years of retirement creating and simplified a cervical patient education material and terminology specifically or upper cervical doctor. How would you like people to describe your contribution to upper cervical chiropractic? I would say the illustrations mm. and the upper cervical terminology we, uh, we developed mm. and used throughout the work that we've done. If you were given one wish, what would it be? First of all, I would change the direction of the upper cervical profession, 180 degrees, because we've been on the defensive with the public and the medical profession for more than 70 years. Mm. It's time we go on the offensive. I truly believe, as a as a profession, we have the solution for the root cause of most health problems. Because more than a hundred different health problems 
have responded to the after service corrective procedure. Just go, just visit Greg, Greg Buchanan's website, www.upcspine.com. Go to the evidence. Click on a net dose. You can read the reports of countless health problems. They have responded to the upper cervical corrective procedure. If the medical profession had a single pill, drug, or prescription that more than a hundred health problems will respond to, we would really be on the defensive. And yet, we may have the solution for the root cause of most health problems, and it is time now for us, for us to go on the offensive. Let me attempt to give you my explanation as to why I say what I say. Okay. Brain health and hidden messages control, maintain, and monitor everything that goes in, in the body, including the thousands of functions that keep our body operational. These messages also direct body healing. When the upper cervical corrective procedure removes the interference and health problems respond, it not only proves the upper cervical concept, but it explains why countless health problems have responded during the last 70 plus years. Yes, I believe restricted brain-to-body communication due to interference at the point where the head and neck joint may be the root cause of most health problems. Now, when you stop, stop and think about that, it boggles the mind. The first person that attempted to convince the world that the sun was the center of the universe was sent into exile and later burned at stake. Uh, tell us about your uh, upper cervical patient education business. Well, as I said earlier, after being in practice for seven years, I realized because of my military disability, I could no longer stand 10 to 12 hours a day without it affecting my general health. So I turned the clinic over to an observer doctor and took a two-year leave of absence and moved my family to California. The daily headlines of the Los Angeles Times told stories of a runaway trucker bus that lost its air brakes, crashed, causing unbelievable property damage and loss of lives. With the help of an engineer and a little common sense, 
we develop and patented a spring-loaded safety brake device that would prevent this type of accident. It represented the first change in braking application for trucks and buses in more than 40 years. In 1962, a law was passed in California making it mandatory for all trucks and buses in the state of California and those in the state using air brakes install a safety device. Shortly thereafter, we sold the brake company and the patents to a company on the New York Stock Exchange for a nice seven-figure price mm. and retired at the age of 42. Wow. My wife and I purchased a lovely home in Southern California. Raised a family, a daughter, Tonya, and a son, Robert, as we traveled the world and enjoyed the good life. So after being out of practice for 35 years, in 1993, we created our first illustration and gave it to a young doctor that had only been in practice for three years. It was illustration number 0010. It depicts the head tilt and a cross-section of the area where the head and neck join. This illustration makes it easy for the doctor to show how in interference at the point where the head and neck join can prevent the brain from sending it's getting messages mm-hmm. to the body. <clears throat> it was <clears throat> he was very excited. <laughs> and asked if we would make another illustration and show the misalignment corrected. We created illustration 020. It shows head, neck, misalignment corrected. Now that was followed by illustration number 0030. It shows neck muscles holding the head in a tilt position to cause interference at the point where the head and neck join. From there we have created a total of 11 illustrations. After being out of practice for so long, I felt like I was walking down the main street of upper cervical care and I could see both sides of the street. I could clearly see and understand the doctor's perspective. Mm. I could clearly see and understand the patient's perspective. So in developing our education material, we always attempt to describe upper cervical as if the patient was explaining it. Mm. Because, after all, patients are a most logical source of spreading the news of upper cervical. Now, during our years of creating upper cervical, the upper cervical material, not once did we have requests for help in locating a chiropractor. Mm. 
about three years ago, for the first time, up the cervical doctor began developing their own identity as upper cervical doctors. So we now have a daily request for help in locating upper cervical doctors. I must say, I firmly believe our creator did not intend for us to have a medicine cabinet full of pills and drugs in order for us to obtain and enjoy optimum health. I say, the world is ready to accept our simple and logical message of hope. My prayer is for this message to help upper cervical doctors realize that restricted brain-to-body communication could be the root cause of most health problems and to see the enormity of our potential as an upper cervical profession. Yes, I pray we will unify our profession and come together and tell the world what we have so we will be ready to accept Unbelievable acceptance which will surely come. As BJ said, get the big idea. All else will follow. One thing that we didn't discuss that I would like to, and that is our terminology. I am totally convinced that in the future it will be essential for upper cervical to have its own terminology so that the public will stop thinking about chiropractic and consider us as a separate entity <clears throat> in the healthcare industry. Now, for your information, let me, let me quote you some of the terminology that we've created, okay? Sure. And this is a terminology that we use in the material that we create. I will, I will quote them one at a time. Upper cervical doctor. Upper cervical corrective health care. Upper cervical correction. Alignment correction. Body balance. Body imbalance, body imbalance leg check, head tilt, head neck misalignment, head neck alignment correction, misalignment correction, maintaining the alignment correction. Interference at the point where the head and neck join. Brain to body to communication. Lack of efficient brain to body communication. Destabilization and an healing cycle. Brain health 
and signaling messages. This type of this type of terminology will definitely help us establish our own identity. I think you see what I mean. Sure. Like I said earlier, everything that we write, we write from the patient's perspective. Because in the early days when I first came back, came back into the uh, profession, I attended an upper cervical doctor's monthly patient education talk. He talked for about 30 to 35 minutes. It was one of the best talks I ever heard. And we finished his talk. He says, if any of you would like to come up and have me take you for a short leg, come on up. Well, as I sat there on the back row, I watched the people turn back and forth to each other to get the table. And what does a short leg have to do with my problem? <laughs> there was about 30 people there, but they signed up no new patients. I barely knew the doctor. So after, after the session was over, I approached him and I said, Doctor, why not, would you consider next month when you do your talk, talking at the patient level of understanding? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, when you talk at your level of education, you're talking over their head. They haven't been to chiropractic college. They're not familiar with your terminology. They have no idea what you're talking about. I said, talk about head tilt. Explain how you can develop head tilt and how it can cause interference at the point where the head and neck join and prevent the brain from sending its healing messages down to the body. Talk about how the weight of the head can be moved off the center of the top of the neck. And when this happens, the body will compensate for that shift of weight. And the rest of the body will compensate by dropping one shoulder, one hip is brought up, the leg comes up with it, creating body imbalance, not a short leg. I said, when you tell a patient they have a short leg, unconsciously they're going to say, or subconsciously they're going to say, no doctor ever told me I had a shorter leg. I know I wasn't born with a shorter leg. Well, to make a long story short, I went back the next month. He incorporated everything that we talked about. And when he finished his talk, he said, now, if any of you would like to come up and have me check you for body imbalance, come on up to my surprise. Almost everyone started to raise up out of their seat at one time because what he said was so logical, it just plain made sense. Right. But the first person he checked was a woman with a back problem. He had her to stand up straight 
looked, looked straight ahead at all the others. And he says to them, he says, can you see that her head is leans to one side? <laughs> and they all, they all said, yeah, it leans to the left. And you see that her one shoulder is lower than the other. <clears throat> and they, all the other, they just said, yeah. He put his hands on her hip. And you see that one hip is higher than any other. Yeah. So he placed her on her back on his side pottery table. <clears throat> and when he got ready to do a leg check for body imbalance, he said, now I would like all of you to get up out of your seat. Come up and look over my shoulder as I check this lady for body imbalance. And everybody was positioned. He brought the heels of her heels, heels of her shoes together in a slow manner to show at least a half inch difference in leg length. <laughs> and man, was that impressive! Right. They said, "Oh, oh, wow! Did you see that?" <laughs> you have to see it to believe it. Right. Immediately that they could relate to that body imbalance as the cause of her health problem, the cause of her back problem. They signed up nine new patients that night. Mm. I was so impressed with the, with the people's react, reaction and their response to what he said. It caused us to develop our first illustration. Well, Dr. Clark, thank you very much for talking to me.